there's been a lot of generational curse on both sides of my family of having bad fathers and I'm doing my very best to uh to see that end with me you know that that uh there don't need there doesn't need to be any more bad fathers in my family James, what's going on? Mark, what's up, dude? How are you, buddy? Long time. Yeah, not bad at all, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. I know very little to no complaints. Nice, man. What's going on? Where are you heading right now? Um, I'm just actually, my my girlfriend is driving. We're going to go park somewhere uh, at her dad's place, not very far away. And then, um, yeah, that's why I just... Just was uh, at the store uh, later this afternoon. We're getting together for a family dinner at my sister's house. So I brought some cookies to take to my nieces. Beautiful, man. And I was just kind of hanging out after church. We went and had lunch, and now I'm here with you, buddy. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Yeah, really is. You know, it's like uh, life is when we work at it and we deal with the bullshit, it works pretty good. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. What's not get not a not a. I mean, it'd be ridiculous to think that like there's not bad moments or there's not times where it's a struggle to keep up. And but just not allowing yourself to stay in them and shit kind of tends to seem to work out. Yeah, yeah. Well, we all get plagued by that too, right? Like that uh, that idea of like, oh, I thought I was getting better, and then all of a sudden you have a bad day, and you're like, well, I thought that I was making progress. What's going on? <laughs> that is like that's so true. That was me last Saturday. Like oh, I don't yeah. know what happened, or like there was nothing really that like I just one of those things where I was just like, man, I just I don't even. There's maybe it's a series of small things that happened, but I'm just like, dude, I'm like really got inside my head and like frustrated, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna go on the longest bike ride I've ever gone on, and it wasn't like ridiculous, but I went like on a 20 mile bike ride, and like by the end of it, and by the time I got home, I'm just like. I don't even remember why I'm angry. I'm just really hot and tired and sweaty yeah. now. Like <laughs> I'm good. That's awesome. Yeah. Like 20 miles, dude. How long did that take you? Were you timing yourself at all? Or I, I, I stopped at a friend's house and, and like uh, mm. this friend of mine, uh, he's a, he's a, a great dude, but like he's super into hot rod, like real old school, traditional hot rods. And he's been building them as long as I've known him. And he's probably like, four or five years older than I am. So I mean, I've known him for a long time, but he, uh, he recently at the, my kid's high school, he is like the shop teacher there. And they built a 34 Ford coupe called the taco coupe. And they, cause it was folded in like a taco and he had these kids like bang it all out, fix the metal. It's got a wicked, like, I don't know if you're familiar, but like what they call a Bonneville chop. So the mm -hmm. chop on it's like 10 inches. So like, wow. I mean, you're talking like a nine inch front windshield. So they, and they actually took the car down to a big race and um, out in the salt flats. Wow. And like the whole high school kid, like it's, it's pretty awesome. But uh, that day he had posted on his, on his Instagram account, um that he just found this car that has this is like a 32 ford that's got this crazy story it's one of the original cars like uh uh you know i'm sure you're familiar with von dutch it was one of the very first cars that like von dutch like painted prior to becoming like the von dutch that everybody knows and so this car he's been trying to get this car for like 25 years and it's got all this crazy 
crazy history with it and so yeah when i end, i ended up stopping so it took me a while but like so the the route took had a whole bunch of hills <laughs> and then i'm like way home I'm like i don't want to go back that way that was way too many hills so then i'm like i took like this rural highway that goes back towards my house and there's no shoulder and everyone does like 70 miles an hour and you're in the middle of nowhere so people like you're on a bike and you are absolutely but no it, was, it didn't take me too long um i think it's like i think it actually only took me about with the hills about 20 minutes to go like the eight miles into the nearest town to where i live and then it probably took me quite a bit longer on the way home but i also stopped so i could get some water and talk to my buddy for a little bit that's nuts man you're breaking up a little bit. I don't know if your your connection's stable there, but I think uh, uh, yeah, I, think I should I... have. I have yeah, perfect con- connection. Um, might be, it might be my headphones. I try maybe to make sure my Bluetooth is off. Sometimes it tries to connect to my watch, and then it gets all um, wonky. I think I got you back now. Your audio is breaking up a little bit there, but I got you now. I think. Okay. Cool. But um. Yeah, man. What's been new? What's been going on in your life? I remember the last time you talked, you were just starting to make a shift into a different uh, direction with your life. And now you've been working at that for a few months now, right? What's been going on? Yeah, dude, uh, man. So I I, last time we talked, I think I was just getting ready to start school, right? Yeah, you were just about to start it. Yeah. So I I, I'm started. I started school. I I took the summer off and uh getting ready to go back in two weeks and that's was awesome i ended up on the dean's list um both terms so winter and spring i pulled uh 3.96 in my or 3.97 my first term and then a 4.0 my second um i'll go back oh i should have my um certified drug and alcohol counseling uh, certification for the CDAC one is what it is. I should have that by the end of winter term this year. I hope I, or either, either end or worse. can't remember right now. That went really well. Um, and through that, um, a chance encounter has me, uh, with a woman, uh, that is now my coworker. She ended up, we ended up talking at the gym and, uh, I am working for a company, a nonprofit called uh, Lutheran community services um in mcminnville and i am a case manager and a parent coach working in uh, recovery homes and then also out in the community with uh people who need assistance learning how to be better parents because uh the state has stepped in and said you're an unfit parent <laughs> right, right so i'm i'm I, yeah it's awesome um and something like it was a huge victory for me is that uh for the first time in a long time, I covered all my bills um, on the first of the month without having to borrow money or ask for help. Or <laughs> So, wow. man, life is great. I got a great woman. Her name is Anna. She's also in recovery. Um, I don't know, man. It's just a, I think that it's, it's all too often, and I'm probably one of the people who's most guilty of this, is that like we want these instant gratifications, especially as a former addict. You want that instant rewards. And we live in a society that demands instant rewards. <laughs> you know, like we're information, communication, all of it is available to us at a, at a touch of a button, instant gratification. Um, but man, it's just 
my life is just proving to me that if you stay in the fight long enough, you keep swinging, like you're bound to land some punches, you know, like, yep, you're going to get knocked down, but you may never, you just don't allow yourself to ever be knocked out. And I think that has uh, just been echoing really loudly in everything I've been doing lately. And life is good. (laughs) Absolutely, man. Absolutely. When you walk in the path of God or you walk in, um, alignment with the universe however people want to look at it it's just uh it's crazy how much steadily your progress works like it's like it's not always up it's not always down it's just steady just like okay we're seeing improvements it's one percent maybe half a percent better today exactly and that's something today that was really awesome in church like the this uh, new series we're doing in church is like how to draw closer to Jesus, like how to get closer. And, and today we talked about, um, you know, towards the end of Jesus's life at the last supper, when he washes his disciples feet and something my pastor said that was really powerful. is like when you're holding a towel, you can't point fingers, meaning <clears throat> like when you're in service to others and you're, and you're doing that, that servant's role, no matter whose feet you're washing, it's hard to sit there and go and, and be judgmental about, well, you know, literally pointing fingers. I thought that was really poignant and uh, rather deep. But like, man, that's something. I mean, that's why I love what I do is because I get to be in service to people, especially like a lot of people I work with, you know, they tend to uh, have difficult pasts or, and to be able to just be able to come into someone's life with, even if I, I mean, I can't speak religiously at work, obviously, because we get federal funding. Um, so I can't, you know, because of, of separation of church and state. So I can't, but just be able to walk into someone's life who is quite possibly one of the lowest moments of their life, right? The state has stepped in and taken their kids. They, they have the laws involved, like, and they just got told it like you're an unfit parent and you no longer have the rights to your children until you complete you know, all sort, I mean, stuff with me and lots of other agencies. Um, and to just be able to come in there and not hold judgment because sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard because you're like, I see why, <laughs> you know, I have the information of why you're in trouble or why your kids have gotten taken. Mm-hmm. And to let go of any preconceived notion and just meet people where they're at and literally just be willing to wash their feet and be like, we're going to get through this is, man, it's a, it's a life, it's a life changing for me if, I mean, I cannot speak for anybody else. I haven't been doing it that long, but man, it's life-changing. It's It makes you just, you know, have to meet people with where they're at. And I think that's all too often it's a rather difficult thing to do because we have busy lives or we are judgmental or it's a combination of both. Uh, so I, I really try to be as a manifestation of that light and love of the Heavenly Father as I possibly can. Yeah, yeah. It is so difficult not to uh, cast judgment on other people, though, eh? It's, it's yeah. such a difficult thing, man. It really is. And especially, like, I'm not sure, like, I'm sure Vancouver has a similar issues with just because politics and, and the region is, you know, from Portland to Vancouver. And I've traveled between both. It's, it's relatively similar, man. Yeah. It's like yesterday, for example, like, I live... Right. I live about 15 minutes outside of the state capital of Oregon. And we were going out to Costco uh, to go do some grocery shopping. And right along the main highway, like into town from where I live into West Salem, 
there's like a woman smoking fentanyl and just nodding off. Like, I mean, there's a side, there's the highway, the sidewalk, and then a little green space. So you're like, I mean, just, and then just Jay, not pass judgment and say, this person's just a horrible human being, but like how many people are just driving by and don't even just, it's just become so, Oh yeah. Um, they just it's just become so like cliche or so normal yeah yeah that's the word i'm looking for yeah people just become so desensitized to it and it's like this person is suffering <laughs> and we oh, just yeah. drive by, and hundreds of cars are just driving by and probably not even paying attention and like this person's just i mean and, and it's it's hard not to become cynical um and i'm sure it's similar because i i see it every day all day every day um yeah it's 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 sad. And then as a recovering addict, it's hard not to be cynical to be like, well, if I can do this. Why haven't you changed? Or like, you know, you know, or not just be like cold or heartless towards it because it's like, dude, you just have to make an effort. And, you know, so many people are just so comfortable in discomfort. And I think that's what's sad. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like this idea of like, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's not, com it's not, it's not uncomfortable enough to warrant change. It's just yeah. uncomfortable enough to stay there. But that's like yeah. the same as like people's relationships, people's jobs, like anything. Like people stay in a shitty job for far too long because it's the exact same situation. Exactly. It's funny that you said that because I was actually like, we have my girlfriend and I have this book of like, all sorts of questions to ask each other. I mean, cause she's very into personal growth. I mean, she, again, I'm, she, she's a wonderful human being and I'm very blessed to have her in my life. But we, that's one of the things we were talking about. It's like growing up, I was never pushed to like do take leaps of faith or take risks. Like the risks I was taught mm -hmm. to take were dangerous, not healthy risks. You know, my parents stayed in uncomfortable jobs because that's what they thought they deserved or they stayed in unhealthy relationships and because that's what they thought they deserved, you know, and it's, it is, it's, and that's, that's like, that's what we were, as we we're talking about, that's the one thing I really want to stress to my kids. Like, don't be afraid of failure and don't be afraid to take calculated risks, you know, like don't do unnecessarily risky things. Like, you know, throw yourself off a bridge or, you know, do like, do, don't yeah. do, pardon my language, but don't do dumb shit. You yeah. know, I, I've done enough, like I've done enough of that for all of us, but like go out there and take a risk, you know, like, you know, go to school across the country or, you know, go, you know, save up your money and go backpack across Europe or go on a trek through the Holy land. Like there, are, there's such a world of opportunity out there. And all too often, like, especially as parents, we put those fears that we have and we instill them in our children. And we, and most of the time, I think we just do it unconsciously or subconsciously um, because th th those same fears and insecurities were, they, they, they get passed down. Like we don't even know we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until like I became open and aware of that, that I'm like, Oh man, I, you know, I need to like readjust how I'm parenting and the way I, I communicate with my kids so that they don't think that this, you know, they don't keep repeating those same cycles of of self-doubt and insecurity yeah yeah it definitely is like something that is generational and it's awesome that you're that you're thinking that way and i'm sure that you had probably a, a similar upbringing to me where it's like very like kind of uh 
I want to say conservative, but I don't mean politically. I mean like just conservative parents where they're like, yeah, don't, you know, everything you, you get, you have to earn and then you have to cherish it. Like, it's like, like you don't want to lose it. Like everything is so precious that you don't want to get rid of it and try something new. Like, like it's like, yeah. you, like, like I remember my, my dad's rule and I, I still see truth to this, but it's just one of the rules that we're talking about of like, you can't quit a job until you have the next one lined up like this fear of scarcity consistently. And it obviously like there's benefits to it because you know, you don't want to be unemployed. You don't want to be like, fuck, you don't want to be lost. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, you don't want to be too scared that you're not trying new things and trying new opportunities. Like, uh, you know, too scared to look like a fool to try new yeah. things, you know? And yeah. And I think that was, and, and and that that what you just said too scared to look like a fool i think that was one of the things that was probably subconsciously sub, like just injected into my head um even though i didn't spend a lot of time with my my bio father but my stepdad and my mom like you know get a good job stay comfortable and work there for 25 years mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean like that's like just work hard and just you know but like i think that it, like work don't get me wrong work is important. Having purpose is important, but finding what your purpose is like doing something that brings meaning to your life, especially because we do spend so much time at work. And I think, you know, as, as I look back on where I was three or four years ago, or even 10 years ago to where I'm at now, like, it'd be really, you know, I would think that a lot of people go, well, man, if you could have done this differently, or if you could have done that differently, but I'm like, I look at it now and I'm like, I'm so grateful for all of it. All, all of it, the heartache, the darkness, the depression, the suicide, all of it, because it brought me to where I'm at today. And I, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. And I, I don't know without that experience, if I would know what I'm supposed to do, like, you know, my ultimate goal in school is I want to be, I want to be a mental health therapist. Um, I want to be, do the certified drug and alcohol counseling because it's a shorter duration of schooling, but, and it gets me to help working with the com- the community I I feel most connected to and want to serve. Um, and I think that's the truth. And you don't have to be an, an addict to want to help addicts, or you don't have to have been homeless to want to help homeless people. But if you have overcome something dramatic like addiction or homelessness or domestic or left a domestic violence situation and learned how to change your life, like I think that like as survivors of those things, it is our, our duty to share that and it doesn't necessarily have to mean in a in a, a way of a job or for monetary purposes but if you can do both you then i feel like that's what we should do like our stories our our strengths can be the inspiration that somebody else needs to get out of it or it can be little nuggets of wisdom <clears throat> excuse me little nuggets of wisdom that save somebody from going down the same path maybe instead of them spending 10 or 15 or 20 years in addiction they're like wow this guy's telling us, you know, this person's speaking truth and I've only been doing this for two years. I don't want to end up where they did. So maybe I need to rethink what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think that it's, it's so beautiful that you, that you found like kind of your purpose, your mission in life. I think that that's like the biggest struggle for man. I can only speak for men, but I'm sure women feel the exact same kind of pressure of just like, how do I make this life worth it for myself? Like if I'm going to, I I remember thinking to myself, like, if I'm going to go through like life and have to go through the adversity and the suffering and the toughness that life has, 
like, what's the point? What's the purpose? Like, why am I actually doing this? Like, I remember thinking that so many times and I think a lot of people feel like they're, they have to have that at all times in their life. Like they're like, Oh, but I don't find fulfillment in my job. I don't find fulfillment in what I do. And I think that when you find a purpose, like it kind of translates into all things of your life. Like I know one of the best examples of that, uh, I talked to um, Zach from the plaid jacket philosopher. He's, he's got his own podcast and he's an electrician uh, in the, like in uh, Alberta. Mm-hmm. He talks a lot about like, he's, uh, he's like not, he'll, he'll say things like, you know, like running wires and pulling wires and drilling holes through studs, like prefabbing all these electrical components. Like those aren't the things that I'm passionate about, but it gives me the financial ability to take care of my children. And, and he's got four young boys and it's like, that's his purpose. Like his purpose is his family and he knows what he's doing and, what he makes sacrifices for. So on days when he goes to work and he's like, I'm not feeling motivated. I'm not feeling good about myself. I don't feel good about this in my life, whatever it could be. It's like, no, I've got this purpose and I need to create a good life for these four boys and my wife keep, keep food on the plate. Like that's his purpose that keeps him going. And when you have a purpose beyond yourself, just anything, like it could be anything, but, but having a purpose beyond yourself, is like that's where it's gonna help you get through those tough times. Like like you were saying, like Saturday last week. Yeah, I think that's that's just it. Is that like all too often, especially like <clears throat> it's like uh, I don't. From my experience, right with my stepdad, like he did that, but he despised the job that he did. You know what I mean? Because it wasn't where he wanted to be doing. He wanted to, like, from my understanding of like having conversations with him and others, like he really wanted to farm because that's what his family did. But he, he's a mechanical, he's a very mechanically inclined person. He's a, a, a big foreman at a, a, you know, a mechanical foreman at a, or was, I should say he's retired now at, at the steel mill. And, um, but he did provide, but I think there's a sense where sometimes, <clears throat> especially as men that like, you know, at least from my generation and maybe a little older, like uh, providing became such a, like the ultimate goal, right? Just be a provider, just be a provider. But like somewhere along the line, they forgot the nurturing. And I think where you're with a man you were speaking about, he get, he he's grasped the nurturing. It's like, yes, I get to go to this job that some days I may not like, but it allows me to have the finances to nurture my family, not just provide, but like that nurturing aspect for men, especially as fathers, we, we weren't taught how to nurture. We weren't like the important role of the father and the family, um, somewhere along the line became just about being able to go to work and go to, but like people need their fathers and they need their husbands. And like, it isn't just, it is about being able to provide and put food on the table, but it's also about being able to love, nurture, share life lessons, be there for baseball games, be there for soccer games or football games or whatever you're into, you know, band, like being able to be present in their lives is, um, I made a lot of mistakes early on in fatherhood. And one of them was overworking. Yeah, yeah. At a time, you know, like I was working because I wanted to provide. I liked what I did, and I think my son was probably like I was. I was a chef. I was a chef by trade for most of my adult life, and I think I had worked like, 
I don't know, seven or seven to 10 days in a row, like long 12, 16 hour days. And my son was like, dad, when am I going to see you again? And I was just like, what am I doing? You know, that was like, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, when am I, what am I sacrificing? What, like, where's that, that line between providing and sacrifice? Where do you draw that? And I think right now I'm, what I'm so grateful about where God has me going is that like, not only am I able to provide for my family better than I ever have, but I'm also like, feel like I'm serving a purpose far greater than myself. And I think that's the, I mean, I think when you find that purpose, I mean, that's what this life's all about. Cause all too often we just go through life going, I have, you know, too many people just go through life with like thinking they have no purpose or their life doesn't matter. And you wouldn't have been created if your life didn't matter or you didn't have purpose. Yeah. hundred percent. Do you think that that nurturing that you're talking about, like uh, the balance between like working and being there to nurture your family as well, like, do you think you can have one without the other? Do you think they're intertwined that way? Or like what's because it's it's so easy to to go to either side of the extreme of like, oh, I'm going to work 80 hour weeks and I'm going to make sure my kids have food in their belly and a roof over their head. But, you know, maybe you're never around or there's the opposite of like you know, I'm going to work 20 hour weeks or 15 hour weeks and, you know, I'll always be around, but it's like, yeah, but then when the bills come around, what's going to happen? Like, you, like, do you think you can have one without the other or do you think you need both? I think you got to try to figure out how you balance both. And I think, it, I mean, I think like it's anything else. Like the, I think that there's times when the pendulum needs to swing further in one direction than it does the other. Like I know like early on in my journey, I prioritized healing my relationship with my children more than I did working because it, that's, I, that's just what the way it worked out. And that's just how I felt like I needed and I needed to spend that time. And then as our relationships healed, I, I started working, you know, I started working more and I'm like, Hey, I even told the kids, you know, when I, when I went back to school, I'm like, I'm going to be gone a lot. I'm like, I'm working two jobs and I'm going to school full time. Like, I feel like we're in a good enough place and you guys are old enough now that like you don't need me here as much as I have been. I had that, you know, but my kids are old enough to have that conversation and grasp what I was trying to get at. But I think, I think it is, I think there's, there are probably times and if you don't have a significant other who's involved, like, yeah, there might be times when you have to be like, Hey, this is going on at home. I need to be able to like step away for a little bit or things that in home are running really well. And I need to start building that nest egg and that, <laughs> that security blanket of like, you know, in case stuff does fall apart that you're like, Hey, I, I have two months worth of rent and groceries set aside, <laughs> you know, in case I think, I think like it's super cliche and I'm sure you've heard it said on your show a thousand times and in, in everything you've read, you've heard it said 10,000 times. It's all about balance and as cliche as it is. And it's like, I really, I, I hate it because it gets drummed in and it just gets said far too often, but literally it really is about balance. And like, you know, a lot of times balance is uh it is a razor's edge, uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, when you make a mistake, you go too far one way and you got to be aware of that and pull it back. Cause I I know that um, as children, it's nice having your like your father around or your mother. <laughs> you know, like uh, there's a lot of you can provide, and I listen to a lot of people's testimonies and stories, and you can provide a lot of everything 
monetarily speaking, the nice home, the, they'll be able to afford the, the best colleges, the nicest cars, and you can have everything. But if there isn't that bond, um, kids will still go and find things to be bonded to. And all too often when we're adolescents, the things that we choose to go be bonded to aren't usually the best for us. And so I think, you know, there has to be that balance. There, you know, there has to be that balance. Yeah. hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree. Cause I've seen, I've seen both sides of that. We all grew up with someone who, you know, their parents took care of them financially, but were never around. And then you hear about them, talk about it. You know, once you get yeah. into your twenties and thirties of just like that connection that they're missing and, and it's uh, even, you know, I think even if you have a good upbringing and you have like uh, your parents around, you know, there's always sometimes you see one of those families that's just like all the siblings are so well connected and they joke around so much. And you're like, wow, they're all friends. Like they're all right. All... <laughs> like I, I dude, it, it, it's again, it's one of those things where like comparison is the thief of joy, but one of the things you, one of the things you said man that caught my attention that um it's really cool it gives me good insight about you is just like how the 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 humbleness to have that conversation of like okay this is excuse me excuse me sorry i uh, like just having the conversation with your kids and being upfront and honest of like okay you're not going to see me around much there's a lot of shit that i have to take care of um, you know, like, let me know if you need anything from me. Like, there's a lot of people and like, I could see even myself included in this where it's like, it's, it's, um, pride can get in the way of having those conversations of people that depend on you to be like, yo, like, um, we're not like, you know, the ship isn't sinking or anything, but I'm going to have to put in a bit of work. Like, this is going to be some, uh, some tough couple of months for me. Like, like having the, the ability to have that conversation honestly and humbly without like pride getting in the way, man, like that, um, that speaks a lot about who you are, man. I think that's just it. Is it like, well, I guess my, you know, my, my son is 16 and he's 16 going on like 42 and my daughter is 13 and then then going on 30 and then they've experienced a lot and like I, I try not to ever glorify my past or share too much but i want to be able to have those open and honest dialogue conversations with him because i don't want to feel like their voices don't matter that their opinions don't matter that right that that they're being heard and they have a voice and all i think is parents far too often we don't a lot like and I'm not saying you, like you need to like take your kid's opinion and what they're saying and then like do what they ask or what they say, but to at least recognize that and sincerely recognize it and have that open conversations and listen to what they're saying and ask them if they're okay. And then if they say they're not, then like, okay, then how do we fix this? How would you like to go about changing this and what works best for everybody? Because, you know, I think far too often we either get – trapped in the busyness of life you get trapped in your addictions whatever they may be and it's really easy to push the that relationship aside and um i you know there's been a lot of generational curse on both sides of my family of having bad fathers and i'm doing my very best to uh to see that end with me you know that 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 uh there don't need there doesn't need to be any more bad fathers in my family. Yeah, that's huge, man. Be a cycle breaker. 
Yep. That's huge, man. What uh so how how's uh how's the new gig been treating you? How do you how have you found it? How have you um Oh dude, it's it's I've never felt more i mean it's really different because i've never had a desk job <laughs> you know like a big part of my work is like behind the desk but at 43 um it doesn't feel bad to like slow down a little bit and not be on my feet 10 or 12 hours a day um i love i have a lot of i have certain amounts of flexibility as far as scheduling goes um which is nice. You know, if I need to, if push comes to shove, I can do zoom calls with clients. So if my kids are sick or there's something that comes up, I mean, that's an option for me. Um, you know, I have been, I have a lot of things in a job like benefits and health insurance and stuff like that, that I've never really had. And so, man, I I got my own laptop and a work phone. It's like a, (laughs) it's weird to have a white collar job. I'm not going to lie, but I honestly, I enjoy it. I think it's, um, you know, obviously physical fitness, I'm still in the gym five or six days a week. I actually still work at my local gym a couple of days a week, early in the mornings, mainly to keep that gym membership and to help make my car payment. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's not like I, I sit back and, I, and I'm just sitting in the chair, but I really enjoy it. I love, there's a whole new challenge to, like I kind of stated earlier, meeting somebody who's going through a very difficult situation that may be similar to something I've experienced, maybe completely out of out of the realm of what I've dealt with in my own life. But meeting them somewhere and not, and often, you know, before I I go to their house as I'm driving there or wherever we're meeting, I'll pray. I'm like, God, just tell me, show me how I'm supposed to reach this person. And sometimes it's just listening. You know, right. and then like hearing what they're saying, picking up on their and like really listening, not just to the words that they're saying, but see those nonverbal cues. Right. And then figure out how do I reach this person? And, you know, sometimes it's just with praise, like seeing them do something good and be like, hey, by the way, I know everyone else is telling you you're doing this and this and this wrong. But, man, you're really great with your son when I see you work or you have the potential to be a very great and loving father or a very great and loving mother. And to see them shift their dynamic and let down the defensive wall. And when that can happen, then I can start to come in and be like, Hey, here's areas we need to work on. Here's some tools I can bring you. And then maybe this will help change this pattern because again, a lot of times, like, especially when it comes to parenting, we just parent the way we were shown. (laughs) And so a lot of times, like we weren't like a lot of people weren't shown. Right. And that's kind of, you know, chance to recorrect, but no, man, I love what I do. And I, I, it's nice to get my foot in the door of the, like in the profession I want to get into, you know, for the, for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had like uh, any experiences that have kind of like set you, like made you feel like, Oh, like, I don't know if I can do this. Like maybe this is like a lot of pressure or you haven't gotten there quite yet. Or... And yeah. No, I've only been on the job a month, but yeah. I, uh, like the, there's been a couple of cases that I'm, that I've had where I'm just like, dude, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but then I'm just like, all right, God, like you've put me here for a reason. And this is the person you had me work with. And so, yeah, I'm not going to like, there's a couple of times I'm just like, it seems very daunting and uh, overwhelming because you're like, how am I supposed to teach this person how to do this? Because the odds are, uh, you know, on paper look astronomical, but you know, there's, oh, I don't know, in that same breath, um, there was a point in time in my life that even being alive or being here still seemed astronomical and 
and it wasn't going to happen. And here I sit healthier and I've ever been. So, um, yeah, that's something that I've experienced and I, I experienced right away. Cause I pretty much was like, Hey, you're, you're, uh, had to do like three different background checks and it all came in at one time, which were, they were like, that's really weird. Like that it usually takes like at least a month to get all three cleared. And I got them all three cleared within like a day apart. And just as a woman was going on vacation and they're like, cool, you can have her caseload while she's gone for two wow. weeks. <laughs> like I'd only been on the job for like literally two weeks at this point. And they're like, here you go. And so I got handed the keys, so to speak. And, um, I feel like, uh, I get a lot of good feedback, um, from the people I work with and the people, um, the clients I help. So I, I feel really good about it. And, but you know, sometimes it is new and there's stuff that's like, it's hard not to like, as I said earlier, hold uh, personal judgment on it, but it's not my job to judge or condemn. My job is there to coach and help. Yeah. Yeah. How much of, uh, how much of what you're doing has to do with like what you were studying and, and the, some of the tools that you learn there and how much of it is just like intuitive from, you know, g going through your own recovery and, and kind of learning how people dealt with you as opposed to how you want to treat other people, like how much of it is intuitive versus like uh, using tools that you've learned in school. I think it's like, I, I want to see, honestly want to say it's probably like really close to 50, 50. Um, especially cause I, I took like um, an introductory to counseling class and though I'm not a counselor, I am there to listen and I'm there to, steer conversation and i that class was i think at some point in time as adults like what was taught in that class and how it was taught like we should all, everybody should do that because we would actually hear <laughs> we, we wouldn't just hear each other we'd actually listen to one another and right. and so much of listening isn't just hearing what somebody's saying it's those like i said it's paying attention to little subtle cues or hearing what they're not saying or paying attention to the words that they, they repeatedly say and, and under, and then try to ask them good why questions of, well, well, not just why, but you know, like, well, how come this is this way or why do you perceive it this way? And as far as that part of it has been really helpful. Um, I had to do a, uh, a mandatory reporting class. And so that was really helpful. I'd say it's 50, 50 and some of it's intuition. Some of it is like, okay, I, I recognize this in this person and how, you know, just like you said, well, how would you want to be talked to in this moment in time? Or how would you not want to be talked to in this moment in time? Because far too often, a lot of the, like most of these people that I do, most of my clients that I deal with um, are involved with multiple agencies. And a lot of these agencies, um, a lot of these um, agencies, uh, tend to have a lot of clients <laughs> and so they, they become they don't they get just kind of treated like work and not like a person <laughs> if yeah, that makes like, sense like a number in the machine kind of thing yeah and then then i think like especially when you when you have so much stuff coming at you you know you have a lawyer you have dhs you have and DHS is, I don't, I don't know what it is, like Department of Human Services or CPS is, you know, Ch Child Protective Services, or I'm not sure what it is in Canada, but that's what DHS refers to. Yeah. So you I have, think, and then, I oh, sorry. Remember. No, no, I can't remember what ours is. 
But then there's always they have then they're ordered to go see mental health or they have to do treatment and they have to go to drug court or et cetera, et cetera, or domestic violence classes, you know, and it's just like, you know, then you're just inundated with and and then all too often, like it's so normal for us as humans to focus on the negative and say, and so I try to just, you know, work with what there is and bring something I try to dwell on the positive that they're doing more than the negative, And that seems to work. Yeah. Yeah. It can be such a stressful, um, such a stressful gig, man, because they're just like, they feel like they just have to appease you and do whatever makes you happy. They're like, I'm just going through the steps of what you guys want me to do. Like they don't want to be there. It's not like, yes, it's not like somebody's like, paying for therapy and like wanting to be there wanted like it's it's completely opposite like it's like you're forcing me to do this in their eyes like that's how they view it yeah and that's where learning to listen to people learning how to talk to somebody but also like that was something that was really helpful in a class was that like we're not there to help we're there to guide right because right. i can't help you I can't, you can't help me and I can't help you and you can't help whoever and that person can't help whoever, but we can guide each other. We can like, and so learning how to offer, for lack of a better term, help, but in in a guidance way, like, hey, you know, changing the narrative instead of being like, hey, you need to go do this. Well, have you thought about, or, you know, like, have you thought about, you know, like, okay, you know that they want us you want to see a mental health therapist well you probably need to talk to your lawyer but instead of you know going and see the mental health therapist that dhs has sent to you and then you're worried about them already having judgment about your case right like why don't you go see your own like your own therapist on your own and find one and then you can control the dictate the conversation and they won't already have any you know preconceived notions of you so helping change that narrative especially with men like, I don't know about you, but I know before I actually really found a therapist, I liked the idea of like, you know, even when I was like, I knew I needed to see a therapist and I just kind of rushed into it and it didn't go well. But then like actually doing my homework and finding somebody that I could relate to on a spiritual level, plus that I just felt comfortable with, uh, was been a game changer for me. Yeah, it definitely is. I don't know. I, I, I agree. I think, um, especially as men, it can be real difficult trying to find somebody that you can click with, that you can feel vulnerable around. Cause I, I know that as cliche as it sounds again, like it's, it's kind of one of those things where like men just have such a tough time being vulnerable, being open about what's, what's uh, going on under the hood. And Agreed. Uh, it, it's, it's, that's a game changer. I think that's kind of a cool solution of like, yeah, don't go with who they give you. Like, just find your own, you know? Like, yeah. find someone else that you feel comfortable with that you can actually get help from. Because, like, if you're going to if you're gonna actually do it, you might as well receive the benefit from it. Instead of Agreed. just doing it just to do it. Do you see... Uh, Agreed. I was about to ask, do you see, like, people kind of just going through the motions and doing things just for the sake of doing them? And you're like, and you're like 90% of the time. <laughs> like, like I said, I haven't been there a long time, but yeah, a lot of people just want to get done with the 12 weeks that they have to deal with anyone from my agency or however long the case is opened with right. DHS. They just want to be done so they don't have to do it anymore. And that's just all they're trying to do. And it's like, 
You know, I want, you know, obviously you're not going to help everybody, but man, if I can usher in a little bit of guidance and change in one or two people, then man, this job is super rewarding. No kidding, man. And, and I think kind of back to what you're saying earlier is like one thing I've learned um, that I will just, I would spout as a hundred percent fact is there's no growth without vulnerability. Right. <laughs> like you are not ever going to change without having to be vulnerable. hundred percent, man. I'm not, and I'm not talking about running around like a bleeding heart and just spewing your most vulnerable moments all over everybody, but having a safe place to be vulnerable, like, and sharing that and feeling secure in that is that's, that's where change starts. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy, man. How many people like, um, go so long without hearing somebody tell them, Hey, you did a good job or, Hey, you did well, you did this well, or just like hearing anything positive. Like I know you were kind of talking earlier about the similarities between, you know, Oregon and, and British Columbia here where I live. And man, like what you were describing is so on point to what we have here, like on the downtown East side, like I had a buddy from uh, LA come by a, a few months back and I'm like, yo, do you want to go see the war zone? That is the downtown East side, like kind of making a joke about it. And, um, we go, we're going through a, uh, like an intersection and the light turns yellow and I'm kind of like halfway through the intersection with my truck anyways, like the nose of my hood is in the intersection. So I'm like, I'm just going to go through and, uh, RCMP right behind me caught the, flags me he's like yeah pull over and i'm like what's going on man like it was it wasn't red or anything like that he's like um yeah just give me your license and red and your uh insurance your registration i'm like okay whatever like it is what it is and so i give him my paperwork and my buddy from la just looks at me he's like so let me get this straight. That guy right there is smoking meth from a pipe and you get pulled over for going through a yellow. And I'm like, yep. That's yep. like, dude, I'm like, dude, that's like normal. Like it's like, it's, there's always someone like that on every corner, like in the, on the downtown East side, for sure. I just had this exact same conversation. My, my son has my old brig and it's still registered in my name. And he, uh, went through, uh, like they have speed traps that are radar enforced, like cameras. Yeah, we. Had and the he same went. Thing. Yeah, he went through and got flagged for a ticket. And he's like, "How is it that this ticket that I got is more expensive, and I'm actually getting in trouble with it? But like, you can have two grams of fentanyl, or you can be in the park around a bunch of kids just smoking fentanyl or meth, and not get in trouble." at all yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i wasn't laughing at you i'm just laughing at the similarities it's like um <laughs> i don't know how you change it i you know i often when people ask you know my opinions a lot of people know i'm in recovery and, and i share and i'm like i know that like portugal has very similar drug laws to oregon where like oregon is the first state to decriminalize all drugs where like anything like any drug two grams or less like hard drug wise is a misdemeanor yeah, and yeah, I know, we have the exact same thing now. Right, but I'm changed. sure I'm sure that like 
I'm, I'm assuming the reason you're having that same problem is that like all this great brain trust that went into writing this law didn't write any laws about like public intox. Like in Portugal, if you were to like be smoking meth out on the street corner or fentanyl on the street corner or being schizophrenic high on meth, <laughs> like you would get locked up. And there's there are very strict laws about public intoxication using in public. And like that just wasn't even a thought or concept. And there's places in Portland where it's just. Well, I just read something the other day that um, the Max, which is like public transit trains in, mm -hmm. in Portland, they did a – the University of Washington and Oregon State University did a test where they went into every Max train, and they found trace residues of smoked fentanyl and smoked crystal meth in every train. <laughs> Jeez, man. That's brutal. <laughs> yeah. You're just like – right? Like so you, who's a law-abiding citizen, gets a ticket – yeah, you could be homeless and smoke fentanyl and or meth and just on the street corner and be like, not even no one cares. Like, yeah. I don't know. It seems it seems silly to me. I gotta say, I didn't actually get a ticket. He let he let oh. me off with a warning, but it, awesome. It, it was still like it was still like, why am I being pulled over when there's a guy smoking like crack right there? <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I and don't like, know. I'm kind of used to it because I've done some volunteering <laughs> on the downtown east side. So, like, I, I've been immersed in it before, but my buddy was just, like, awestruck. He's like, what? What? <laughs> He's, like, just stunned. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, the it's... way she goes. Like, they're, they, at, at some point, I feel like they're just like, I can't stop it. Like, what, am I going to arrest this guy for smoking crack on the sidewalk and then right and then i'm gonna have to go arrest a hundred other people and within a one steps. block radius yeah yeah and, and arrest somebody else yeah i don't know if it's the same over there but we have like you can you can buy like cocaine or any of those things like in dispensaries now like they're on the downtown oh. east side like you can just walk into a store and get so i guess the idea behind it is like oh you know what you're getting like it's a tested supply Kind oh, of thing. yeah, they don't have that yet, which I mean, in, in some aspects, I, get, I mean, it would be nice, but like, I don't know, man, like, there, it's funny how your priorities shift as you shift and grow and drugs are bad. I always kind of thought it was a victimless crime, even when I was doing them or selling them or whatever, until you like, you really see how the drags that it creates on society and, uh, you know, when you feel unsafe to go into a public park that public funds pay for because it's full of people smoking fentanyl or schizophrenic people or there's human feces all over the place, like, that's not that's not fair to the masses to cowtail to the few, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like. Like, like, just because life has been hard on you, life is hard on everybody. Like, you shouldn't just get to dictate um, your will upon everybody else because you, you feel that's your right. And I don't know. I wish – I hope something changes. I feel like um, there's a huge part of the homeless population that comes here from other states, and I've always heard rumors that other states just – um bust them here but i get this feeling that like people talk and they and then there's news and people are like oh i can be a junkie and not face any legal problems in oregon so why don't i just come here <laughs> yeah yeah 
I know Vancouver is kind of similar that way because we're like the only province with a forgiving winter time. So like a mm-hmm. lot of people take the train over to Vancouver because it's like, oh, I can live outside and not have negative 50 degree weather. Like that. I think I'll take that. Right. But it still gets pretty dang cold up there. I mean, in compare, I mean, you get a lot more snow in Vancouver than we do down here. It's yeah, not- absolutely. But man, like I was just in Saskatchewan which is like a couple provinces over. I was just there right. for a wedding last week. And uh, it was like, man, their summers are like, their their air quality rating, like it was bad here a couple of years ago with wildfires. And we got up to like an eight. The iPhone says like eight or a nine air quality warning. In right. Saskatchewan right now where, where I was in Saskatoon is like an 11. And then the yeah. guy that's driving me around is like, yeah, in two months from now, it's going to be negative 50 with wind chill because it's just the flat plains of Saskatchewan. So I'm like, man, I'm happy. Like the worst it got here was, I think, negative 10 last winter. And they're right. dealing with negative 50. And I think like it's a lot more forgiving for sure, man. Negative Absolutely. 50, you open your mouth and your tongue freezes off, man. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's so cold. I don't know if you saw that, like... uh when all of the American West was having that massive heat wave like month and month and a half ago, yeah. and all those people were driving into Death Valley to like stand next to the thermometer because it was supposed to break like the the world record for hottest day ever. And I'm like, that's the last place on earth I just want to be like, I'm going to go drive there and go stand out next to a thermometer that says 133 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm like, that. there's nothing about that that says i want to spend my money for that dude that's insane Um, it is insane but yeah in terms of um in terms of uh i just had to look up 133 degrees fahrenheit to convert it to celsius and it's 56 that's insanity i've never seen anything that's so hot like and that was not atmospheric temperature that was the whatever the the ground point temperature was i'm like that's insane so yeah. i had a lot of buddies who were over in um in like and i fought in iraq and they were stationed in saudi arabia like that's where the main base was and like with atmospheric or the air temperature was like 125 and they're just like dude it's <laughs> that that was in full camo and with the 25 or 30 pound ruck on too so that's <laughs> just insanity, like man yep but yeah i think in terms of regulation like i think um I don't know. I am not always super optimistic with it because like the one thing I always have to remember is um, and remind myself is like the people that make these types of regulations aren't the type that like go. They're not they're not going to the park and seeing like these types of people, you know, they don't deal with the same like their kids go to like little private sections and they have these massive backyards like they don't deal with public. It's the same thing with like people that, you know, uh, agreed. A hundred percent with what you just said. Like it's, it's, it's the same as like the people that, you know, the regulators for, for firearms and police and everything like that. Like they can say, Oh, this is what's best for the public. If we do this with the police force or increase the amount of, you know, whatever this is or restrict firearms. And then it's like, but you have private security that stays strapped everywhere you go. Like it's like, exactly. it's, great, it's great for you to be concerned about our safety, but you don't have to deal with the repercussions. Like maybe some of us could give our input, but it's the way like. I hundred uh, percent agree with everything you just said. 
it, like uh, there was this meme that went around locally and it was like this really high-end uh, gated community up in the west hills of portland because that's where like that's like that's like that's high dollar high rent area and they're like and if you were to look straight down from this person's like driveway right there's just a massive homeless community and it's like yeah of course you don't care about what's happening down here and you'll pass whatever laws you think is fit because you don't actually have to see any of it yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah we're seeing now like i i um i live in a suburb of vancouver uh, just south of it. And so like I, I drive Where in the at? bank. Do you live in Surrey? No, no, no. Just in between actually. I'm in Richmond. Okay. And so I drive over the uh there's a the, one of the bigger bridges in Vancouver is the Oak Street Bridge. And mm -hmm. um yeah, right under the Oak Street Bridge, there's like a grassy area there. And you I, I literally the other day I'm driving to work and I keep forgetting to mention this to my coworkers because it's kind of like crazy, but there's like, we're not talking like tents or tarped off area. Like I'm telling you, like this guy put in like a floor joist system and laid a subfloor and built walls up and then put building paper, put a roof on this thing. And then even has like gutter rails around the outside. I'm like, yo, this guy literally just built a house. Like, it's almost like insane to me because it's like you obviously could work. Yeah. Like like this guy's got skills. Like he's you know, like we've hired guys with less skills than this. Like what the fuck? Like dude, but that's insanity. just it. It's like, dude, how when you're and I'm speaking hundred percent from experience right now. When you are so high that you can't function, and you are like and I'm not saying every homeless person But is bro, that's strong. functioning. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, Dude, that's... there's places like my girlfriend just moved in with us, but she was living up in Portland and there was this exact same thing. I would like drive, like there was a kind of like right where you were saying you'd come off I-5 uh, over this bridge called uh, the, the Powell. I can't think Powell's Bridge. I can't think of what it is. It doesn't matter. But there's a little green section between the, the interstate and the bridge. And this dude built like basically had a door, had walls. And I'm just like, and he had like a, a nice like, Kawasaki Ninja. I'm like, it's either stolen or like this dude is doing something. I'm, I'm assuming like he's probably selling dope, but like, dude, you have a door and you have walls. Like, <laughs> like, like you have enough meat. Like I thought the exact, I'm like, what is actually going on? It's crazy though. I feel like almost though, maybe in the middle of the city, smack dab in the middle of the city, not really that cool, but no. I feel like, um, it should be legal to just find some crown land and put a little spot on there. I think that it, should honestly be legal. I don't know if problem. it is in the States, but it's uh, not because what, what, like a, the federal government owns a vast majority of the land and, and like, like forests and stuff. And then if they don't own it, they end up selling it to like, like massive Land companies Bill, like warehouse like where yeah <laughs> well no warehouser georgia pacific like timber companies and then those timber companies will sub subcontract that out to like the local logging outlets and i'm sure it's really i mean I, i'm sure it's similar up up there that like yeah so like uh when i first moved home from portland i worked for a, my buddy's dad logging company for a little while till I could find till I could find a job cooking and uh, right before I started working there they found some dude who had done just that like had gone out into the forest 
and cut down a bunch of trees and been living out there in this little cabin he built for like 18 months. And this was a long, this was 20 years ago, but he ended up having to go to prison and had like $150,000 in fines for, <laughs> for vandalism, for cutting down trees that weren't his. That's crazy. I mean, right. And that's like here we are, however many hundred years later that America had, you know, to almost 250 years later that we had fought a, uh, you know, a revolutionary war to to get away from the crown, and yet the deer are still the deer, and the fish and the trees are still the kings, <laughs> so to speak. That's crazy. like you know you can't just go out and eat something because you know you can't just take an animal out of season, and even if you hunt, you still have to pay the state, and you have to be you know all the regulations oh, yeah. and and yeah, you know it's just like. Yeah, you have to get tags, you have to get licensed, you have to get yep, every all yeah. that. Yeah, no kidding. And and there's how are you? Me, man, how are you I'm, been? I'm good, man. I'm good. I um usually we go and um we go to church on Sunday mornings, but we ended up just going to my buddy's uh farm and shooting trap all morning. Nice. So it's kind of a nice, nice relaxing morning. Uh, excellent. Yeah, just sitting on the tailgate. Blasting pigeons all morning, plays. Cool, but yeah, man, I've been yeah, busy. You better, better, uh, you better re, re. You said plays, right? The last thing you want is people hearing you say you just blasted a bunch of pigeons yeah, all no, morning. No. Get a bunch of hate mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people that don't understand. Yeah, no, yes. they were clays. They're just little discs, man. Relax. <laughs> yeah, they're just yeah. I love but, that, man. That's excellent. Yeah, I we usually do go to church on Sunday mornings, but my buddy texted me last night. He's like, "You want to come by the farm tomorrow and shoot trap?" And I was like, "Yep, I'm in, man." Like I haven't, I haven't shot my gun for a couple months now, so let's go. So yeah, it's relaxing. Like it's uh, it's fun because you're there with your buddy, and and I brought te- like my girlfriend along as well. But it's it's also relaxing because like you're just so focused for so long mm-hmm. like two hours just blows by we were out there like 9 30 ish mm. nine nice yeah other than that man we've just been working a lot like uh i do home renos and we've been busy all summer beginning of the Good. fall so it hasn't been... slowed down at all for you no actually this year's been interesting because uh usually my cousin is my foreman it's kind of a family mm-hmm. company but uh, he had to get surgery this year, and so he's been gone for the past six months, and he's about to come back. But the past six months, I've had a lot of responsibility on my shoulders, so it's been a fun uh, kind of half a year learning. Like uh, my, I feel like I learned ten times faster in the last six months than I've been in the, the last like four years. Like I'm just like I'm absorbing so much more. Awesome. It's funny how like just being thrust into a situation like makes you learn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I honestly I learn well like with that whole sink or swim aspect of stuff. Like because then it's like especially if it's you know kind of trial by fire, like you have to learn how to do it, especially if it's on the job. Yeah, it's so different doing something when you have somebody being like, Okay, this is what we're gonna work on today, like go and do this, 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 this. And then when you show up and you're the guy where like, especially on a construction site, when you're the first person that shows up and you're like, fuck, what are we going to do today? You know, I've got a, (laughs) I've got a plumber coming at nine o'clock today. My, like my electrician will be here at like 11. And then it's like, fuck, what am I, I got to plan what people are going to do today. Like, this is, 
It's yeah. not just me now. I have to plan four other people's days today too. Right. So it's been fun, man. It's been a lot of fun. And awesome. um yeah, just training in jujitsu and Teddy, my girlfriend, she does photography and website designs as well. And she just did her first wedding this summer, which a cool. uh, little bit out, outside of her uh, experience. She it was her first time doing it. But yeah, we got to do a little bit of traveling for that. Go, go awesome. to uh, another province, fly over to there. And yeah, now awesome. she's just been busy uh, editing all the photos. It's been a it's been a busy little end of the summer man but i'm 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 loving uh fall time is my favorite time of the year i love yep. the fall time so me um, too i I'm like the fall and i love the spring yeah it's like uh perfect spring is really rainy here in vancouver but the fall time like it's still sunny out but the air is nice and crisp That's crisp it cools down a little bit today has been pretty hot it's been like fall had kind of set in like it's just been like today's probably in the, like uh, like eighty ish degrees Fahrenheit, but uh, it had been like you know in the low seventies, but no clouds in the sky. The the leaves are slowly starting to turn. The days are starting to get a little shorter. So yeah, yeah. yeah I like it too. We would be so, like um, in Fahrenheit. We'd be like low seventies right now, mid seventies, yeah, low seventies. Right. That's about what it's been here until the last couple of days, which has been just really nice t-shirt weather man mm-hmm. t-shirts and jeans man that's my i think a pair of 501s and a t-shirt and i'm pretty happy i mean there's a lot of similarities between our climates uh i i love fall until like november ish maybe even till i can deal with like the first month of winter but like in the valley we don't get any really any snow unless it gets cold but we just do lots of rain <laughs> a lot of yeah. gray skies and rain yeah as uh we we i don't know if you guys probably don't ever think about vancouver but we we here we call it rain coover like it's yeah. just rainy <laughs> rain city, i love man. i love vancouver i uh prior to 9 11 i used to go up to vancouver a lot because it was cheaper to go up to canada than to like throw a party like if i could have a three-day weekend i was probably going to vancouver i'd hop on the train and come up there at 19 and be able to drink and not have to have the law breathing down my neck yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah i spent a lot I spent a lot of time in Vancouver, uh, specifically West Hastings. Yeah. Well, now, now it would have been East Hastings, man. Yeah. Okay. It's migrated. They slowly just keep pushing it out of the city, oh, out of the downtown that's, core. Yeah, that's kind of how it happens. It's it's uh, except in Portland, it's weird that like the downtown area of Portland has become one of the worst areas of like homelessness and yuck, especially like near Chinatown and Chinatown is like basically in the heart of downtown and it is, it's not safe. And like, it's, I, you know, like dude, people vandalizing buildings and smashing out glass and it's, it's, it's pretty yucky. It's yeah. really sad. Like Portland used to be a really pretty city and it is just not anymore. Yeah, it's, I said, dude, actually, really crazy. One of my best buddies just moved to Portland last month. No, oh, crazy. Yeah. Where at, you know? Uh, no, I haven't talked to him too, too much, but um, I know he had some buddies down there, so he, he just ended up picking up and, and moving down there. But he, he uh, yeah, maybe I'll see if I can connect you guys. I th I think yeah, you that'd guys be awesome. Would, you guys would love each other, man. He's that'd super be great, dope, dude. Yeah, I would love that. Super Please dope, do. dude. It's kind of weird too how uh 
it's you said it's like right by your Chinatown, and like the downtown east side is literally a block away from our Chinatown as well. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 crazy. Well, all of it's bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still pockets of like southeast Portland where it's higher rent and it, it's nice, and there's obviously the West Hills, but. I mean, it's like, so in Salem, it's where it's like the closest town to where I actually live. Like, cause I live out in the, out in the middle of nowhere in the country. And I mean, it's bad in Salem too. It's just, and Salem tends to be a little bit more conservative than Portland. And it's, I, you know, I, I'm not all like saying that like, oh, all we should do is put homeless people in prison, but you know, like work camps like they did during <laughs> during the great depression like you know on the job training like something to teach people some skills and to like give them that attaboy that they need to like maybe change their lives because it's uh it's gross yeah all of it's gross i mean i don't have any other other descriptive word to say other than it's gross it's i feel bad for the people who it's affected i feel bad for the homeowners that have to live near it i feel bad for the business owners who are affected by it like none of it is fair or good and it just seemed like in the last like two or three years or maybe three years probably it's just been like this hand grenade of them like it just became such an overwhelming problem and no one knows what to do with it yeah I mean, it's, uh, I feel like it happens all across North America and it's the exact same story for every single city, whether it's like New York, LA, Portland, Vancouver, I'm sure with parts of Toronto are the exact same. Like I, I hear a lot more about it from like American cities, but it's like, yeah, you, you'll have like the $2,800 a month rent and then right mm-hmm. next to a Versace store and then right next to a safe injection site, which is right next <laughs> to like six people that are overdosing on the street. And it's yeah. like, why is I, why do I smell human feces and burnt crystal meth? I, and you're right. just like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's, it's just, it's out of control. It, it, it's, it's crazy. And I, I don't think I know every solution either. Like his, you know, pushing people like, okay, yeah, you got to go three blocks this way and trying to push it away from the expensive rent. It, it doesn't solve the problem. I, I listen no. to a lot of stand up comedy. Like it's, it's one of the main things I listen to is like podcasts and stand up. And I was mm-hmm. listening to this one that was happening in, in uh, Austin, Texas. And he's like, a lot of homeless people here, a lot of drug addicts. Like, what are you guys doing for that? And then before anyone in the audience replies, he goes, whatever it is, it's not working. Do something different. <laughs> like yeah. do, do something different. I don't know how your city deals with this, but this isn't working. No, like I know like, um, and there is cool programs like what you were talking about. Like, cause there's, there's a place in Surrey that uh, my mom goes to all the time. And she was telling me about it. It's like, um, it's a a halfway house, kind of like a, like there's one guy that owns the place, and he he's in the NA program or whatever. Mm-hmm. He takes people in and helps them get sober, and it's like connected to a bakery. So like once they finish, and there's like a a butcher, a bakery. It's kind of like a little like a grocery store type of thing, and uh, and um. You can go to the like the butcher and and after people go through their program and they get sober, they have like direct into work experience where they like there's a butcher there, there's a bakery there, there's like produce section, 
And these people are like up in the morning slicing up meat and bacon loaves of bread. And like, you know, my, my mom's there all the time. Like she goes there every weekend to go and grab like a pie or a loaf of bread. And it's a pretty cool program, man. But you know, I mean, that's all that's, that's what that's, I mean, my, I don't would never even pretend to know how you fix this entire problem, but it's more programs like that that give people tangible skill that help people get back. Like, like something I try to say or I, I share when, when this subject comes up is it's like people need hand ups, not handouts. 100%. Because we get comfortable. We get, you know, uh, like bears, man. Like bears will stop hunting wild game and they'll just go eat your garbage. <laughs> you know, because it's, mm-hmm. it's an easy handout. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. like, you know, like giving someone a hand up like that, like here, we're going to help you. There's Here's the rules you follow. You can't use drugs. We're going to drug test you, but we're also going to te- give you a place to live and we're going to teach you a skill on how to be a butcher. That's a great skill to have. And it's a, you know, it's something that will pay to, you know, keep a roof over your head and food on the table. And, you know, it isn't just going around picking up trash. That's an actual trade. Yeah. Not just that, but it's like, you, you're also gaining confidence. You get a way to make some money. Yep. You feel good. You have a, you have a reason, like some structure in your life, like a reason to be at a certain place at a certain time. And you get to interact Absolutely. with other people. Like it's such a, it's a culmination of so many things. And I think that that is like a, a lot of the time, like people say like, Oh, my work is like hurting my mental health. Cause I have to go to this building and I have to do this thing and see these people I don't like. And it's like, I, I think an opportunity to make money and go to a job is better than like sitting at home and, and, and like watching Netflix, like the idea of like, Oh, I have to be at this place and I have people counting on me and, I can make them proud if I do a good job and, you know, like I have an opportunity to make money, especially as men, like going back to the idea of like providing, like not having a paycheck coming in and having, not having the confidence of like, if I need some money to eat, mm-hmm. you know, like having I a do. job is like, I do. I'm good. <laughs> like, yeah. I think for all human, like we were created to be productive, but a specific and as a man, specifically speaking, as a man, as men, dude, not having not be feeling productive. And dude, that's part of what got I mean, there's a lot that led me to. But that the lack of production in my life compounded my depression so bad. Like and then you just start to feel worthless. And then, you know, you sit. We are the story we tell ourselves. And so if you sit there and tell yourself you're worthless and you're not capable, I mean, you're going to live like you're worthless and not capable. Like you're that's absolutely right. Like having that purpose and having a like routine and schedule are, are really important aspects of my recovery and how I heal. So kind of uh, like reflecting on your own journey, like going from where you just said, like um, you felt like you had no purpose, you had no reason, you had nothing to like fast forward to what you're doing now was there like a point where you where you had like a definitive turning point where you're like i think i can have a purpose yeah i mean well in that first year of sobriety like just learning how to like manage a life my life somewhat again became important but like i was in such bad physical shape 
like I, I was like, before I can even like really try to do a job, I got to get down below 300 pounds. Like, cause I did, cause I, you know, at that point in time, I had no other, like I'd pretty much just done manual. Like I was a cook or I've done manual labor. And like, I, when you have, when you're struggling to breathe, you're not gonna be able to do manual labor. So I'm like, I got to get under 300 pounds so I can like be on my feet again. And once I got to there, I, I went and worked in a, and, but then I was like, I needed to like, I balanced between like two or three jobs real quick because I just mainly because I was still kind of crazy in my head, but I had a really hard time being around people because I had been such a recluse for so long that I didn't, I didn't know how to acclimate back into society. So I was a janitor for like nine months Yeah, yeah. and I worked by myself and it was the best thing I could have ever done because it allowed me to like work and feel productive. Um, but it also gave me the, um, the ability to exercise and like slowly acclimate myself back into society. And I think that was it. It was just like, I had so much going against me that, you know, for that first year, I was just insane trying to fix everything at once, uh, which was never going to happen. Like I need a job. I need money. I need my kids back. I need my fix, my relationship with my wife. I need a car and blah, 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 blah. And so I was just running around like a maniac trying to find like a solution that was never going to come. But I think that like, the big one was for me was getting under 300 pounds. And once I got under 300 pounds, I'm like, okay, now you can start doing stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's like that barrier to entry there, but yeah, I think, and even, there is, well, I, was I think say, that, I think that we, we almost set ourselves, like we almost set those things ourselves. Mm -hmm. I was trying to say. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's like, can be like in my own aspect, I was never late. Like I wasn't like, Oh, I can't do this because of this, you know? And sometimes I think we like, we, we put off till tomorrow what we should be doing today. And mm -hmm. I'm not advocating that at all. Like for me specifically, because I was rather obese. I'm like, I physically cannot do what I know how to do to make money until I'm able to like, you know, breathe. And so that became my job. Like, like, don't get me wrong. I didn't just sit there and just magically go 300 from 350 pounds down to whatever I'm at now or before I, you know, because it was obviously didn't all come off at once. I didn't have surgery. I didn't get a belly band. I didn't take any diet pills. I worked my ass off to get myself into physical shape. Like I yeah. was not, I've, I'm not advocating laziness and nor once in the last three years have I've ever really sat and, and felt lazy. I just knew that like, okay, to be able to be a productive worker and to do the things I'm capable of doing, like I've got to be capable of doing that. <laughs> and so that became my priority. And then once that happened, it was, you know, okay, I'm going to work in the evenings, but in the daytime, I'm going to take care of myself and I'm going to spend as much human time as possible with my kids so I can repair that relationship, you know? And then I thought, um, you know, it's like, okay, here I am. This is what's going to happen. And I'm like, okay, the next phase is going to be the professional phase. And I'm going to start really working on that. And then God was like, nope, I'm going to teach you spirituality. And that became my focus. And I was completely God stepping in. And now I'm like in a place where I'm like, I'm fairly balanced. And now I'm like, okay, now I can really focus in on the professional aspect of things. And, you know, there is that balance. But I, I think, you know, God had a different plan than I did. And I had to learn the lessons I needed to learn to be where I'm at today. And I wouldn't change that for anything. And, it, and it's taken me a lot longer than I had hoped. Like three years is not a short amount of time, but in the grand scheme of three years to 43 years, it's not that long. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and the, like, dude, the time would have passed anyways. So it's like, did you want to make progress or not? 
And yes. And, and I think that's just, yeah. And that's just it. I'm, I would never say that like, Oh, just don't wait, just wait for something to happen. You gotta, um, I'm sure, I'm sure you know, the band, the devil makes three. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And they have that song, you know, help yourself. Like, you know, God will help those who help themselves. Like that's the truth. Like I'm sure you've seen that meme a hundred times that guy's sitting on that capsizing boat and he's sitting there praying. He's like, I'm going to wait for God to save me. And like, here comes a helicopter. Here comes another, but like person in a rowboat. Here comes a life raft. He's like, no, no, I, like I'm, I'm waiting for God. And it's like, dude, you've just been sent three rescue. Like, where do you think that came from? Like, yeah, yeah you know, like yeah. I think, I think that's just it. It's like, you become aware of these little gifts, be it people or situations. And you just have to be intentional with those moments in time. And, and you know, like I used to be really big on goal setting. Now I'm just like, okay, here's my, here's where I want to go. Now, how do I intentionally use the moments when they're presented to me to get to there? And I'm not super worried about like, oh, I need to have this done by 120 days from now or in six months. I'm like, okay, each time that it, something presents it, like the woman in the gym, when she came up and talked to me, I could have easily blown her off, but like something said, Hey, speak to her. And I spoke to her. And then a, a job fell into my lap in the field that I wanted that I wasn't even looking for at the time. I was quite comfortable with working back in the restaurant. Like my life was comfortable. I was making enough money to barely get by, you know, but it was working with school and I'm like, you know, things are okay. And then this happened and now I'm making well, more money than I've ever made. The biggest, I just got the biggest paycheck of my lifetime, <laughs> you know? So, and I'm doing something I really enjoy and I feel it like, obviously like being a cook or a chef is service work, but it's not in service of others. It's in service of those that can afford the service. Yeah. It's not nearly the same thing. Yes. Not nearly. I, I love that man. And just hearing you say like, I just got the biggest paycheck of my life. Like, man, that fucking warms my heart, dude. That makes me, dude, you have no idea how nice it was. Like I'll pay my rent, pay my car payment. I paid part of my electrical bill went grocery shopping and to still have money left over <laughs> like, dude, like that makes me really happy that's fucking legendary man that's literally the dream right exactly just to have like that all taken care of and you're like whoa what's next this yeah no no i just get to go do it all again <laughs> that's beautiful man i um Fuck, that's so cool, man. I'm so glad that you're able to just kind of pursue that whole thing for yourself. I think it's cool as well that you get to pass it on to others because it's uh I I I like meaningfully say it every single one of my episodes and that I do by myself, like in the solo episodes of just like the idea is to to make yourself stronger and one percent better every single day, but to lift others along the way as well, like lift others up along the way as well. Amen. It's not a selfish journey. Yeah, and I think that it's like um, it's a sign. Like, dude, I'd say like that's like the Lord giving you a sign of like your biggest paycheck ever. Like things might get rocky from here, but clearly you're on the right path. Like there's, there's no other sign that would get that. I a hundred percent agree with you. And you know, what's crazy is right before this, um, this job happened, um, the job I was working with prior, there was a chance that I could step into a management role and probably make about the same amount of money I'm making right now. I'm like, man, this would be easy. I could stay here. I could manage this place do that for a couple of years and like it's got a big enough name that I could go on somewhere and, and make, you know, 75 to a hundred thousand dollars a year. And I'm like, do I even bother pursuing school? 
Like, is this what God wants me to do? And then I, I sat and had the Monday before this job fell on my lap. So it was a Monday. I went and hung out with my pastor from my church for like an hour, hour and a half, kind of just sitting at a picnic table, having a talk. And we just talked about it. And it was just like, you know, God will, God will show you what he wants to do. Just lean on him and trust him. And then that next day, this woman comes in the gym and uh, she sort of hit on me. And I'm like, hey, by the way, I just got a girlfriend. I appreciate it. But like, you know, but she's like, OK, I, I appreciate you being up front with me. And we just started talking and this job fell in my lap. So it wasn't like I went out and pursued it. It wasn't like I saw a, a job posting on Indeed or on Craigslist or anything like that. Like it was, dude, it was just God saying, hey, no, dummy, that's not what you're supposed to do. And I, I need you here. This is why I've this is why you've lived through what you've lived through so you can help other people. And and now I'm doing what I'm doing because I yeah. was intentional with my purpose. I'm intentional with my time. Like I tried to like, okay, is this a sign? And this is something that's opening up an avenue of growth or is this something that I just need to ignore? And, you know, sometimes I get it right. And sometimes I get it wrong, but I'd say more often than not, it ends up right. Cause I I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to be very intentional with each one of my moments. Yeah. And it's so cool. It's like, man, I I've been that person too, especially like in a gym or like maybe walk into a bus stop or whatever it is where you're like headphones on. You don't really want to talk to other people. You're like, I just want to get my workout done. I'm here to focus. I'm here doing this. I'm here doing that. And to be grounded enough to just like interact with the other human beings around you. Like it's almost like a lost art now of like not talking to people, you know, like it's, it's so weird, but being present enough to not just like see the opportunity and like, it's not even like when you have interactions with people, you're like, what can I gain from this person? But just like being present and grounded enough to just like interact with other humans, how many like, uh, times, uh, God will, will send other people into our lives as a way to redirect course. It's it's so crazy, man. And it's not... exactly that, man. It is, dude. You just need... we, uh, man. That was what you just said was very beautiful. And very and beautiful. Man, like, and and if you're not like present or grounded enough, like you won't see the signs. You won't be able to see like the sign or the person. Like you could have someone being like, "Dude, go left, go left, go left," and you're like, "Should I listen or go right?" Like you know, like. Or... <laughs> Some people just keep wandering, like they don't even yeah. see or hear the signs. That that's just it. It's because we have we are so we're so blinded by everything, or we get like I'm 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 doing this really cool uh um devotional plan right now on building community and the importance of friendship because I tend to like a be cynical and like you know I'll consider you a friend, but you live you know, six hours from me, um, you know, Marcus, who was on your show recently is a friend, but he lives four or five States away. Like, um, it's hard to build friendships with people, especially as men, as we get older, like you, you, you are like, Hey, here's the thing. Not everyone has to mark check each box. Like you, you know, you got, no one's ever going to be perfect. And you got to do this, this, and this, but like the friends that I do have, um, they're equally as busy and it's hard to find time to nurture community. Because everyone's like, I got wives, I got kids, I got my workout routine, I've got my mental health routine, I've got my spiritual routine. And like, you know, where do you find the time to build a friendship routine? And it, it becomes a challenge. And that's what this whole thing is talking about. Is it like one of the first myths was the very first myth to break in the on the very first day was just that like 
you're not that busy, <laughs> you know, like you're not that busy. Like, yeah. like, and like, you know, and then that the right, and then it kind of talked about like the right people will fall into you. Like, you know, the, you know, a couple of days later, that's what it talked about. So like, you know, look at Jesus and the disciples, like <laughs> those people didn't come to Jesus. Jesus went to them. Yeah. And even then they all had their own little flaws. They all had their own little thing going on, man. Like, yeah. Like Matthew, like, <laughs> like, I, I mean, like, Matthew was despised. He was a tax collector. He worked for the Romans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure, wasn't it like Paul as well was like persecuting Christians? Well, yeah, Paul wasn't a disciple, but Paul was an epistle. But yeah, Paul yeah, was apostle. Saul. Yeah. Paul was like a Pharisee's Pharisee. Like Paul, yeah. <laughs> that was Paul's job was to go hunt and kill Christians. And yeah, then the yeah. dude ended up writing, then the dude ended up writing like two thirds of the New Testament. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, I mean, and, and obviously, like, there's Judah. There's t tons of yeah. Everyone had their flaws, man. Yeah. But, uh, it, and that was it. He that was it. He accepted people and met them where they were at. And that was another thing I kind of talked about. I was like, your people are gonna have flaws, and that's okay. But just meet those people with where they're at, and then you know, try to try to act like Jesus did. It's much yeah, easier yeah. to read than it is to actually put into action. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy, man. But I think you are on the right step. Like it's, uh, when you hear the stories of, of the new Testament of like who Jesus went to for healing, it's like, he, he went to the lepers, he went to the, the, the prostitutes, he went to the people that were homeless and, and hungry and starving and desperate and yep. the people that had, had betrayed other people and the people that were going to betray other people. Like it's like, uh, I think that what you're doing right now, it's a, it's a huge blessing for society to have you around, man. He, that's something he said. He, when he, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he's like, he said something, and I, I'm horrible at quoting scripture, so I'm not going to try quoting the book or the verse, but he said something along the lines, like the healthy don't go and see a doctor. <laughs> like I'm here to heal the spiritually bankrupt or the spiritually corrupt. Like that's what he was there for. And I think that's where we need to be in service. Like, I think that's why I always had some weird issue like with being a chef or working in fine dining. It's like, yeah, I, I love that work and I'm, I'm naturally gifted at it, but like I'm not helping people who can't help themselves. Like I'm not helping the helpless or the lost. I'm helping the privileged. And that just seems like a waste of my time. And yeah, now I get yeah. to help those that, that need, actually need help. Yeah, yeah. And, and everybody, I think that this is my own personal belief. I think that everyone is here to be a tool for a different audience. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, like we, we all have like uh different people that we connect with really well and that people in certain situations will find us easy to be vulnerable to. And I think that that is like the, uh, the idea behind all, all of life is like to find out what, what, audience you resonate with and where you you want to listen from as well like it's agreed like, where do you want to drink your water from but then where do you want to disperse your water and help other water other people's gardens as well man absolutely and i think that's actually how i ended up here because I, I i journal a lot and that's one of the things i kept asking god i'm like i'm like for months i'm like show me my audience show me my audience show me my audience show me my audience and that's how I ended up with like within like a six day period. I think I had like eight or nine people work reach out to me like, "How'd you get sober?" I'm like, "Okay, this can't." <laughs> like, uh, all right, I, I'm I see the writing on the wall. Okay, I'm I'm not uh, I may be dense at times, but I'm not thick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like okay, 
So I'm like, this is probably something I prayed on it for two or three days. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to just sign up for school. And I think that's, you know, that's, I, I, you know, I, you can't compare trauma or you can't compare addictions, but I think um, it's really important to share our survival stories um, and not com for comparison or be like, oh, well, I didn't do this and they did this better, but like, because you never know who's listening and you share those moments with with authentic transparent transparency and a splash of vulnerability and you can really change people's lives you can really change what people think is possible yeah, and, yeah. and 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 most things are possible like at this point like i'm probably never going to slam dunk a basketball like i'm 43 years old i'm only six feet tall and i can't jump like i used to right i'm never going to run a nine second hundred meter dash so like I'm not saying all things are possible <laughs> and you're and at 43. I'm, I may be as strong as I was at 20, but my body doesn't feel like I do at 20. And like, you just have to be willing to be, accept the fact that like, there's just a new better. It's never going to be as good as it was, but it can be the, a new better. <laughs> it yeah, can be yeah. a new best. It can be Absolutely. this season's best. It's, you know, you can't go backwards, but it can be this season's best. Absolutely. Dude, I love that. I think that's a beautiful place to wrap this up, James. I uh awesome, man. Dude, I appreciate your time. I, I same I love here, the man. Energy. I love the way you speak. I love who you are, man. You're a great, you're a great human being. And I, I love you too, buddy. And I really I really appreciate you putting me on. And I do we don't necessarily have to do an episode, but it'd be great to just connect every couple, two, three months and just check in with each other because community is important, man. And Dude, you got to, just so you know, man, if you ever get in Oregon, you got a brother down here and I'll open up my home to you and we can go out and we can shoot all the trap you want right out my front door. Dude, that's amazing, <laughs> man. I'd love that. I'll, have I ever sent you pictures of my front yard? No, dude, you haven't. All right. I will. Well, as soon as we get off here, I'll, I'll send you a few. Like, it sucks because there was a couple of huge forest fires, like just south of like south east of me a little bit or and but the winds have been coming like there for a while it got really hot like two three weeks ago maybe a month ago and all the wind was coming on the southwest and so like i'm like had these epic mornings but like i couldn't get any photos of the sunrises because I, I love getting up and like because it was just so hazy like it was great but i couldn't get pictures of it because the like it looked everything looked um like it was like filtered and i'm like dude these because i wouldn't catch there's so much smoke in the air there was days that like you wouldn't even see the sun until it like rose above the smoke line on the mountains yeah, so yeah. i'll send you i'll send you some photos in my front yard it's it's pretty i mean i live in a little tiny uh single wide trailer with me and my two kids and my girlfriend and like a it's hard to find places to live around here right now but man my uh, what i'm surrounded by is Dude, I got a little tiny creek that parallels my driveway. I got a big pond in my front yard. Like, I, I don't have neighbors. That's beautiful, <laughs> like, man. And it's and it's only like about ten minutes in any direction to go get into a, a you know to get gas or food or anything like that. So that's beautiful, man. Yeah, I'd love to. Come I like it. There, Pretty dude. blessed. Pretty blessed. I'd love that. Well, brother. We're wrapping this up. Do you, do you have anything else you want to spit? You want to you want to say to anybody any positive messages or anything like that? Just uh, believe in hope. <laughs> like there is hope, and once you have that little sparkle and light of hope, then then all things become possible with hope, and that you're loved. <laughs> Beautiful man, I couldn't have said that any better myself, man. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful, grateful for, for you too, brother. Man.
Yeah, man. All right. I appreciate you, dude. I'll talk to you soon, brother. Much love. All right. Sounds Peace good. Out. Have a good rest, rest of your day. Of, I was about to say the same thing. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, brother. Amen. Talk to you soon. You bet. Bye. Bye. Bye.